It's my first time. You're new here, aren't you? First time. Welcome to Babylon 5, for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I'm watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the very first time. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the very first time, and we're looking for those Star Trek-like messages and trying to decide just how much we like this series. Like I said, this is not a podcast about Star Trek, but we are, like Brent said, Star Trek podcasters. So those references are going to show up from time to time. So we play the rule of three. That means we get three references apiece to Star Trek. That's it. Three. One of those places. No substitutions, exchanges, a refund. <laughs> hey, Brent. Yes. We have an email address. We do. It's Babylon5first at gmail.com. It's number five and the word first. And we're getting emails through there right now of people sending screenshots of their reviews for the big giveaway that we're doing at the season two wrap up. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see uh, you can see the prize right there. You mean this awesome vintage and by vintage, I mean old Captain John Sheridan action figure still in box with little teeny tiny Babylon 5 station. It's like Babylon 0.5. <laughs> maybe point zero zero five right it's so tiny it's so cute it's a great prize we're going to talk about it a little bit more in this episode all you got to do is screenshot a review that you leave for us email it to us or hit us on twitter at babylon first but i want what about those people who left an, a, a review like a long time ago well if they aren't uh let's see we've got tsf 47 who, who won last time and we have bryn talon who is also uh, dis- disqualified. He you're should not- totally be requalified. Reinstate him. You're going to run. Where's Elon Musk? Let's reinstate him. Well, we're going to. Okay. <laughs> Let me just. Uh, <laughs> can't hear any of that. Didn't hear any of it. But for all those people that have left reviews, those are in the hopper too. So, I mean, you can't go. That's one of the things with Apple. You can't like leave a lot of reviews, but if you left one and you didn't win a prize last time, you are in the drawing for the one this time. But I want to share an email that we did receive a little while ago from someone named Brett. Brett emailed us, babylon5first at gmail.com, the number five, the word first. And I'm just going to share a little snippet of what they put in there because I think it's a really cool story. And I think it's one that I I know I can relate to in in some ways. And I think a lot of our, our listeners and viewers can as well. Brett says, please realize it was a much different time back then. Well, today... Everything geek is chic with comic books, drawing record-breaking crowds, and a plethora of diverse sci-fi shows literally at one's fingertips. Back then, the Star Wars or Star Trek geek was ostracized, laughed at, marginalized. We were as stereotyped as the famous Shatner SNL sketch. In the spring of my sophomore year of college, a friend loaned me a VHS tape of the pilot of Babylon 5, which had just aired a couple months earlier. It was cheap. It looked like a bad Trek ripoff. But I was a junkie coming out of an era when new sci-fi was few and far between, so I was completely willing to watch. Season one came along and looked better, but still came off as cheap, and the stories were very hit and miss. As it went on, I saw that it was not the clone of Trek I thought it was. The show was starting to click for me. Then season two landed, 
and like the difference between one and the pilot, it got better, both in production and storytelling. Somewhere before the middle of the second season, I realized I was looking forward to B5 more than DS9 from week to week. I still love Trek, but Babylon 5 was the new king to me. Then the third season landed. It got even better. He shares a lot more, but now that we're reaching the end of season two, I thought this was a really good time to share that story and get us a little hyped up for season three. I don't know. I'm a little trepidatious about getting hyped up for season three because we got really hyped up for season two. And while season two certainly has had its bright moments, very bright moments. And in fact, season two's brighter moments have been brighter than season one's brightest moments for sure. Season two's lower moments have definitely not been as good as a lot of season one's kind of normal moments, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, season two has been a little bit of a roller coaster for both of us, Jeff. Well, I think given this episode that we're about to talk about, if it continues like this, if this is the ride we're on, then I mean, yeah, it should be great. This is the sure. ride we want. Like, that's the thing, right? Like this is where, I mean, we've been saying it the last couple of, of episodes, like this is the storyline we want to focus on, like stay here. And they keep like, doing this one-off episode about a weird psychop thing and another weird episode about that thing over there. And like, no, 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 get back to this. Stay, stay in this lane right here. We like this one. I got one more to share. This is from YouTube and career night shared some cool stuff behind Delenn's transformation from a while ago. Mm. Career night says this was like wild news to me. And it just, I don't know. makes a, a lot of sense. I think it's cool. The original idea for Delenn's transformation was she was also going to go from male to female as part of becoming a Minbari human hybrid, which is why in the pilot, her makeup is so androgynous. JMS said the idea was dropped because they couldn't come up with a good way to change Mira Furlan's voice to sound masculine. I can only imagine how much people would have freaked out over having a trans character back in the nineties. I don't, I don't know that they would have because what really? No, no, I don't think they would have one because it's an alien who is going literally into a cocoon and coming out as like literally making a change, not somebody who is either superficially doing something or even surgically doing something. Uh, and it's an alien. We are, that that's the whole thing about like star Trek and, and why sci-fi works because you can do stuff with aliens. You can't do with humans. If it was a human that did it, there might be an issue. But I mean, like, here we are and it's 2023 and we, in the, what, a season or two ago, I think it was in the third season they were introduced. Oh, I don't remember their names, uh, but in, in Star Trek Discovery, they have, what's their name? I can't even remember their name. Blue and uh, Ian Alexander. Blue Delbario. Blue Delbario, yeah. thank you. I forget we're, their last name. Yeah, yeah. We're great. I, I love both of them. But mm-hmm. I mean, one's presented as non-binary and, and, and again, they're using aliens or using um, the trill to kind of tell part of these stories, but still like pe- people were losing their minds. And that was a year. That was like a year ago. But, but again, but in those, both of those situations, you had humans as actors who were in real life, uh, trans or non-binary coming in and playing the same type of character. Like, and, yeah. and, and largely there is most people like the people that were losing their minds. There was a whole other group of people that was like, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's like the, the point now is there are a group of people that would say that. I don't know that that group of people would have stood up and told them to shut up back in the nineties. I, I don't just know. know that they would have showed up back in the nineties. They might, they might've, they really might've be. And because you know what we did have back in the nineties, we had RuPaul. True. 
We had uh, what what is what's what's that street down in Key West that has all the drag shows, which are hilarious to go to, by the way, if you've never been. Uh, I don't know if they're still dorm or not. I imagine they are. Uh, you know, but remember, we didn't really have trans people in the nineties. Like, like in the nineties, they were called transvestites, not transgendered. Well, and they were they were a punchline. Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, came out around this time. It was it was a joke. But I, I point taken. Looking looking back on that with our eyes today, yeah, that's 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 kind of that's kind of. It, it seems like it'd be kind of ballsy back then. Yeah, I, 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 wonder, I think so. I wonder if I'd be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong on this one, honestly. I don't think people would have thought two things about it. I really don't. But I could be wrong. They really could have. Well, we can imagine the past however, <laughs> however we want. Sure. I, think, I think it would have been fascinating if they had done it. It's, and it makes sense to me, too. It's, what I yeah. think is fascinating, though, <laughs> the tech is the thing that stopped it, right? They couldn't tech, technologically make her voice sound appropriate as his voice. Uh-huh. So they scrapped it, but they still moved forward with all the CGI that they decided to use for TV. That's just a Jeff thing. I'll let that go. I have heard that before, though. I have heard that that Delin was originally supposed to be a male, and then they wound up changing it for one reason or another. I didn't know that it had to do with the voice, though. Interesting. Yeah, that is kind of just a neat, neat behind-the-scenes thing. Well, with that, Jeff, we like our games. We got the rule of three. We've got another game at the end of the show where we predict what the next week is going to be about based on title alone, not having seen anything. And now is the time to pay the piper. Look back on what we said last week that this week was going to be about and fess up and, and just just own your mistakes. Jeff, I'm going to own mine right away. I said this was Delenn. I said this was Delenn struggling uh, with something. I don't exactly remember what. Uh, I think what I said was it's not Londo and the redemption of Londo, which I got right. That's not <laughs> by the way, sure. but it was, there was definitely some Londo in this one. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I, I was nowhere close to this one. Jeff, what'd you have? I thought Keffer was going to get killed by the shadows. Right. In this one. The shadows were there. They killed a lot of people. Keffer was not one of them. He was on a smoke break. Probably. Although there were no star furies in this one either. So, I mean, maybe I mean, he it's was been a while since we've seen a good star fury, like a good launch sequence and everything, Let's, which is pretty back. wild when you think they literally added a cast member to lead the star fury crew. And then we have less star furies than we've ever had before. Yeah. That's a little, little odd and disappointing. Well, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about whatsoever, you've never seen this episode for whatever reason you've decided to watch and listen to this podcast before checking out the episode. If you've watched it in the past, it's been a while, whatever, you need a reminder. Brent, can you tell everyone what the long Twilight struggle was about? Boy, oh boy, what a season two finale this one was. This was not the finale, Brent. No? No. Not a season finale. Yeah, like two more. No. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, anyway... Uh, Londo has been summoned home to Centauri Prime. In a one-on-one with Lord Rifa, Rifa declares that the end of the Centauri-Narn war is at hand. You see, they've intercepted a Narn transmission about a plan that they have to marshal their forces in an attack on the Centauri supply hub, which means that the Centauri will not only be waiting in ambush to obliterate this fleet, but as soon as they've done that, they're going to head straight for the Narn homeworld, which will now be left defenseless. And Londo is the key to victory. All he has to do is call on his special friends one last time. Wando looks super uncomfortable with this whole idea, which totally means that this is it, right? This is the redemption of Londo Malari. That is until he says he'll do it. 
but he hasn't done it yet. So there's still hope, right? Well, back on Babylon five, a stranger has been appearing on a station, except it's not a stranger. It's drawl. Remember that guy, the battery down on the planet below, or at least it's a drawl that's 30 years younger, which by the way, is a really cool way of just explaining away a recasting. He invites Sheridan to come down for a visit and he gives them a plus one. Well, while that ambush is happening way out there, Sheridan and Delenn, because of course, you know, she is the plus one, head down to meet Drawl. Drawl says that he has a pretty good idea of what this planet now has to offer, and he's offering all of its resources to Sheridan and the upcoming long twilight struggle, and it will give them hope. But just as the shadow ship obliterates the Narn fleet, Drawl feels a great disturbance in the force. It's as if a thousand voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Captain, it's time you go back. You're going to be needed there. And oh, Delin, introduce him to the others. The others? What others? Well, back on the station, Londo has arrived and is delivering the news that the Narn have completely and abjectly surrendered to the Centauri. And he's reading their draconian terms of surrender that the Centauri are imposing which basically means that they're going to execute the entire Kari, which Jakar is a part of. I don't know if we ever knew that before, but hey, Jakar is a part of the Kari. And if one Narn steps foot out of line and even accidentally kills a Centauri, 500 Narn will be summarily executed as vengeance. And they're also, of course, going to set up an entire puppet government on Narn. Oh, and one more thing. Jakar is no longer an ambassador and must return home. Sheridan says, like hell he will. He's asked for sanctuary and he's now under my protection. Londo doesn't like it, but there's not much he can do except for yell, no, commander, captain, whatever he calls him, I don't know. Jakar does the political walk of shame, but he does so with his head held high after giving a great little speech. Well, later in secret, Londo is still looking very uncomfortable with this whole thing, but it's too late. He is fully complicit. He's an active participator in this entire thing, and he has as much blood on his hands as the rest of them. Sorry, Londo, you're the bad guy now. In a secret meeting, Sheridan promises all of his resources to helping free the Narns, which is followed by another secret meeting, one in which Delin, Garibaldi, and wait for it, Ambassador Kosh are introducing those others that Drawl talked about to Sheridan. Well, who are they? They're none other than the Rangers that Sinclair told us about over a video conference a whole bunch of episodes ago. They are now naming Sheridan their leader. They're forming an army of light to fight against the army of darkness. And I'm not making that up. That is literally what they said. And the episode ends on one of the most rousing speeches ever committed to film. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. Nope, uh, sorry. Wrong button, wrong button. Uh, one of the most rousing speeches ever committed to film. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. No, no, wrong button. One of the most rousing speeches ever committed to film. Tell them. 
Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. That from this place we will deliver notice to the parliaments of conquerors that a line has been drawn against the darkness. And we will hold that line. No matter the cost. Jeff, what did you think of the long twilight struggle? Do you remember there was a season one episode? It wasn't, I don't know if you remember it or not. It was called Chrysalis. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a kind of an episode that we watched. So it ended with Commander Sinclair saying that nothing is the same anymore. Mm -hmm. And holy, he's right. (laughs) Nothing is the same after this one. This episode is incredible, Brent. It was so good. This is the episode we've been waiting all season four. Yes, it was at the end of season one. We were getting bombarded with people. Oh, season two. This is where it gets going. This is what happens. Yeah, we're like three episodes to the end or whatever. And yes, we're here. Season two has taken off. You remember those big episodes from season one? Signs importance. Right. Chrysalis. That we were like, yeah, they're okay. A voice in the wilderness. Yeah, it's okay. Like, it was pretty good. Yeah. Season one. It's about as good as you're going to get in a season one sci-fi show. Like, they, they were good. They're they were good. I liked it. Enjoyed it. This one, exactly what you just said, Jeff. This is what we were promised. This is what, this is Babylon 5. You know, when people talk about Babylon 5, yeah, it's the serialized stuff that happens. It's the long story arcs. It's the character development. But it's moments like these where everything pays off in a way that you finish watching this episode and you feel, you feel both defeated, you feel empty, but you also feel like unchecked hope and optimism, you know, all at the same time. It's th- this episode, like it played me like a fiddle, you know, with all the, the emotional roller coaster that we went through, the things that we learned. I mean, the, the NAR and our Centauri now, <laughs> you know, I mean, holy crud, that that's something before the coming of shadows. I never, never would have guessed that those words would come out of my mouth. I thought that we would get to the end of the Narn Centauri war and it would be a little bit like a reset button. We would go back to the five council members and maybe even there'd be some sort of a deepening of the relationship between Londo and Jakar, you know, uh, certainly there's still some myth because I, I, I think I've said a long time ago, those two can never actually be friends. Right. But th- there could at least be some, some mutual, respect i think maybe that's starting to, to garner like something would happen and and i said 
I've been calling for it all season long, the redemption of Londo Malari. And I got to tell you, after this episode, I'm done with Londo. Like, I hate it. Londo is irredeemable. What's amazing to me, amazing to me the way they did this and the seed for what I'm about to say was planted back in, um, and now for a word, when Torkman was saying of Jakar and Londo, they're saying the same thing, but they're not communicating with each other. That parallel path continued here where Jakar is at the lowest point we've ever seen him. I mean, yeah, you said it. He had to do that walk of shame out of the council chambers, but he, oh my, oh my, what, what an, holy crud. He owned what an, that. He did his speech. I even, I even wrote his little, his little speech down because it was so powerful, but he walked out yeah. low as he's ever been. But here's the thing. Londo's at the lowest point he's ever been because at the end of this episode in my, the way I read the end of this episode, he's garbage and he knows it. The yeah. episode began with learning the emperor Car- Cartagia. Is that how you say his name? Cartagia, whatever, something like that. Cartagia it doesn't yeah. matter because he's just a puppet for Rifa. And yeah. Londo, I think, realized when they said that the Centauri were annexing other worlds, Londo realized, oh, crud, I'm just a puppet, too. Yeah. I mean, he's he's now had to go in front of these people he's worked to build relationships with, swing bravado to the skies. I mean, his yelling about all the, the terms of the surrender. And then at the end of the day, he's going to end up drinking alone at the bar. Yeah, I mean, you remember when Londo was happy-go-lucky, going to the strip club, going to the casino, dancing on the table and kissing the butt of his of his little idol thing, like, you know, cheating at cards. Like, that Londo is no more. He's gone. He's gone. And it was hard for me to look at him and think of those times and see this. And you know the part that really did it for me? And I know this sounds, like, really stupid given, like, here's all the other things, and then this is what sealed it for me, was when he yelled at Sheridan. I went, no, Commander. Like when and and I think what that really symbolized was there is no going back for Londo. Like on some level, there could be Londo is a messenger of his home world. He's delivering on his duties as an ambassador. But that is the moment when Londo digs in. That's the moment when Londo he plants his flag. He does. He really mm-hmm. does. And and regardless. If he doesn't feel comfortable with it, regardless, if he feels guilty about it, he's done it and he is guilty. He should feel guilty because he is guilty. And, and you and I have both said it. He is irredeemable. Now the people out there listening right now who know where this show goes, there's three more seasons. I imagine at some point something's going to happen. I mean, my God, if Jamie freaking Lannister can become the highlight of Game of Thrones after what we saw him do for the first three or four seasons, I guess Londo, they could do something with Londo before the end of this whole thing is up. But right now, I just, I don't know how Londo ever, ever could be forgiven for any of this or how he could ever pay any amount of recompense other than dying. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A couple episodes, seven, eight episodes, I think, ago. That's what I said. Londo will have to sacrifice himself to, I thought it was to end you the did, war. Yeah. And, but now I think that's how, we, like, it will be one of those things that four seconds before he plunges to his death or whatever, people are going to be like, that dude was all right. But he has to die for that to happen. He does. Yeah. Like, he, he absolutely does. Did you notice, does, you know, like, we've noted Londo, like, his hair's gotten a little bigger and a lot blacker. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and his suit has gone from this rich purpley to a dark black color. Now are his fangs longer? 
I think they're sharper. They, they definitely showed they showed more. I mean, they emphasized them in this particular episode uh, for sure. I have a question though about Wando. Okay. Uh, and and by the way, here's the thing. I don't know about you, Jeff. I don't have much uh laughing at this episode. I don't have much goofs or cut ups and, and observations. So, I, but uh, I have two I do, quick ones. I have two, but we'll just okay, let's we'll get throw to those out. in just a moment. But I I've got a question. There is a moment where I think it was right after Londo left, or, or no, I'm sorry, not Londo. Jakar left. It was somewhere in that scene. The camera stops on Londo on Peter Jurisic. Is that how you say his name? Jurisic. You know what? Ivanova is an easier name to get right than that one. I know. Um, he coughs. Did yes, you catch it? I did. He they, gives a little. Huh, they sat on it for a on. second. Mm-hmm. They did, but then they move on. And I'm like, I immediately sat there and I was like, that seems on purpose. That seems like a seed that JMS is planting. That's going to come back later. It's already been planted. That seed's already been planted. And this is the first like little sprout when um, it was in the coming of shadows where he had his full vision. We saw the whole vision where we saw him and like scarred Jakar, you know, and strangling each other. And he was dressed up like he was the emperor. And there were a couple scenes in that where he was like emperor Londo. (laughs) kind of like sick and coughing uh, that was yeah. part of his vision so i like the first time i watched that that was i thought the same thing as you oh that cough is going to be something then yeah. when i watched it the second i'm like oh my god it already is like to me this not only like this affirms he's irredeemable because now he's on that path the path that's yeah. going to lead to him alone on the emperor's throne waiting to be strangled to death by scar jakar except don't forget what bald lady dude said in signs importance it can change. It, it can. can still change, but he's on the path. Like but that's he's where he's moving. So, so my my two quick goofs. One was the new the new drawl. What 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 did you think of um, our good Klingon ambassador playing uh, playing drawl? Oh, that's who he was. I was trying to figure it out. I, I didn't spend too much time thinking about it, but that's who he was. Okay. Um, at first, I hated it. Because when he came, I mean, I like, I was like, this is as bad of a recasting as Natoth. Yeah. And then they hung a lantern on it. They, they gave you a reason for it. They told you, yeah, look, the machines rolled me back and I'm youthful vigor and I'm 30 years younger. And I was like, cool. I can deal with that. I can, I can hang with that. There were times where I was like, has anybody told this guy that he's acting on television and not on a stage right now? Seriously. Because like. (laughs) <laughs> there are just times like he's just having a regular conversation and he's talking like this rolling his r's <laughs> but i mean uh, maybe that's just draw maybe that's the battery part of him i i don't know i found him endearing i found him amusing i, I found him potentially menacing mm-hmm. like if if kosh had a sense of humor now you have draw Okay. okay. If he had a sense of the dramatic and a sense of humor, now you have draw, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, it's one of those, like, it was a little annoying at first, and then I kind of warmed up to him. Like, I kind of like him. What What did you think of him? I couldn't stand him at first. Yeah, even when he, even yeah. when they had the, um, the explanation, I was like, well, thanks for explaining it. This is still ridiculous. On my second watch through, though, I thought that, because he talked about, like, I thought it was fascinating how he said the the planet has rejuvenated him. Cause we watched Mr. House in a voice in the wilderness, like get sucked dry from it. So like at some point that's going to flip, I'm rejuvenating you and now it's going to flip and I'm going to suck you dry. But there's also other people 
there taking uh-huh. care of the planet, a notable one, by the way, which we can talk about in a little bit. But he talked about how he communicated with other people that are taking care of this thing. Yeah. There've got to be a lot of personalities built into this machine that I think probably came in. And so it became, you know, almost a part of him as well. You know, he absorbed pieces of the, the other batteries over there that I think also he's just an old man who hasn't talked to his grandkids in a really long time. <laughs> and so when Sheridan and Dylan showed up, like, he's oh my, there are people here. I'm so excited. So I, I warmed up to him on the second one but okay i'm glad you did because yeah i'm glad you did because i i kind of i kind of liked him okay i've got two two thoughts about him real quick were we looking when we're down on the planet are we looking at his body or is that like an astral projection of him we saw his body in the thing and then when he was when we yeah so they showed him in the in the the gimmick right that he was he was all really lashed up to at all so him walking around it was the the hologram version of him. So up in the up okay. in the station and the down on the planet was, which I thought was a it was a really great way to let him interact, right? I'm gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. project myself, and then I can just be yeah. dude walking with you. So you referenced it just a second ago. He talks about there are others here as well. Who are the others? Like that's fascinating to me. Well, we he told us who one of them was. Ooh, Zathras. Zathras careful for oh, Epsilon see- three. I don't, I don't, uh, I didn't catch that part of it. And maybe you're right. I, I saw Zathras, but I was just thinking he was like, Zathras is like a little servant who comes in and out and goes off and does his bidding and, and whatever. But I didn't think of it as Zathras is one of the others in the, in the machine. That's an interesting thought. I don't know that he's in the machine and I don't know that all the others were in, I got on my first watch through the impression I got was there were others hooked up to machines through the planet. Second time through, I just, he said there are others caring for the planet. And so some might be hooked up to machines. Some might be sweeping the floors, right? Some might be Zathras. So what'd you, what'd you do when he said Zathras? How'd that hit you? Well, my exact first thought was Brett's going to be so excited. I was so excited. You were off by like one or two episodes. I know. I know. (laughs) But he didn't show up. It was just Zathras. Gosh, he's never around when you need him. And then he walks away and I was like, it was perfect. It was Short of actually having Zathras pop out somewhere, it was a- about as perfect of a reference as you could get to him. Did you catch uh, my other my other little funny piece before we get really deep in this stuff? Is did you catch who played Justin, the war leader? I did because the voice got me so. You know, who I thought it was at first. I thought it was Martok, uh, uh, JG oh, Hertzler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's who I first thought it was. Was JG Hertzler? And I was like, no, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. And then I actually looked it up and it's the soul hunter murder soul hunter. Yeah. It actually brought him back. Right. He he was a lot better this time. A lot better this time. They're not going to bring him back in this role though. No, no, which is too (laughs) bad, which is too bad. I, it was, uh, you know, we talked to, I forget which episode it was, but it was where they showed us the inside of a Narn ship that was blown up, blowed up by the Centauri. And, you know, Jakar showed everybody the footage and was like, hey, feel sorry for me. Come on, help me out. And we were asking, like, is this propaganda just to make us feel bad for the Narn? What we saw here was like, no, like, they're cool. Like, I would have loved to have served under Justin, even though he would refuse to listen to Jakar, who had the magic, you know, to fix Mm -hmm. everything. I, I feel like I would really like to work for that guy. Sure, sure. I had this thought, though, with with all of that going down after they just got their butts obliterated and then we're like in the bar where the news channel is, is 
giving the report and you've got a couple of Centauri and you've got a couple of Narn and then there's a Mimbari here and, and a few different things. And you're like, this is about to go down. Yeah. Right. And then you turn around and like one of those, one of those guys is doing like a flying leap kick. One of the yep. Centauri is, you know, and like really quickly, all of the Centauri dispatch these Narn mm-hmm. and listen, visually these Narn are badass looking dudes, man. Like they are, are the warriors, the whatever. And I'm kind of sitting there like, I know they're supposed to be kangaroos more related to them than they are, you know, wild boars. Are they just bad fighters? They're not the warrior race that they kind of look like they are at all. Not at all. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the worst part in that scene was the, the poor news anchor kicks off with, Hey, there's bad stuff happening over in the Narn homeworld. And earthdom thinks that they're responsible. Earthdom. Did you misread the cue card, Ace? Like <laughs> Earth Dome? Yeah, so there's an E at the end. My daughter calls that a bossy E because it makes the vowel say its name. We say that it gives the vowel all of its power. Ooh, okay. I like that better because I'm not a big fan of boss. But Right, right. Okay, I had to, actually, I think I do have a little, a little fun one here. There was a moment, the way they edited this show together, this episode together, that I thought a whole bunch of stuff was going on that didn't, actually happened so at the very beginning drawl comes on the station and so oh the guy at the the guy in cnc recognizes something's happening down on the planet and he says let's call commander ivanova and then we flash to a quarters with a steady cam walking through the quarters and you hear the shower in the background and i'm like wow talia's not even been off the station for 24 hours and ivanova's getting it on in the shower with somebody Totally thought that's what what we were getting Same. ready to walk into. And then we turn and there's Sheridan's back. And I was like, it's Sheridan? Where's Ivan? Oh, no, we're in Sheridan's quarters. They called for Ivanova and then flashed us over to Sheridan's quarters. And I was like, like, like I, it was it was a real brief moment of like, ah, and then it just came crashing down. But the the editing was not playing favors for you at all in that particular moment no but it was cool in that scene because another drawl moment that on second watch added so much to him where he's giving his big speech and look how important oh i'm sorry you can you can get dressed if you want like i don't mean to interrupt And he's like no 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 i'm fine he's like okay but then he's like then i'm back to giving my big speech again like right (laughs) it's fun okay so i thought this was kind of cool and i haven't seen this before or at least i've never noticed it before the the shadow weird ships spider ships Mm -hmm. whatever we call them when they were done attacking which by the way the way they took out those narn not to shoot the ship we're going to let you open a jump gate get into the vortex of it and then we're going to shoot the jump gate uh and collapse the jump gate on you brutal oh my gosh like you're not even floating in space at that point like you're just gone but when they were done with that and they started flying away did they all like collapse together like collectible Tupperware and like become a single ship again? Like that was interesting. What I thought I saw was one of the ships had one of its uh, spider legs blown off. Like, like the Narn actually damaged it. And then the other, one of the full spiders came and like piggybacked it and grabbed it to take it away. Okay. That might've been what it was. Cause it, cause it looked to me like they were all just sort of like, voltron coming together and like now they're gonna fly off together and it's like a big shadow sandwich that can split off and then i thought it was really fascinating too how they launched like a well the narn 
flashed a mine, like mines that went out. And then I yeah, thought yeah. that that's was the shadows were launching back. I'm like, oh, so mines are a big thing. Oh no, these aren't mines. These are like a hundred little tiny fighter ships that are going to come in two, 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 two all over the big war. These shadows are no joke. Like these things no. are, yeah, they are, they are big time. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if they can rock all those Narn like that, and one of the ships loses a little leg and that's it, Delenn's right. There's no way the rest of the galaxy can even even try to stand up to them at this point. I, well, but I mean, again, you've got to go back to that whole, I think it's that organic tech thing that I keep waiting to come back into the whole thing. Organic tech down on the planet, organic tech with Kosh and his whole oh, people, no. organic tech you with the gonna, shadows themselves. Like, what's going to happen? What? <sighs> Franklin? Franklin. Oh, no, don't say it. No. He's going to program a virus. Oh. that he'll upload to the shadows and it's going to totally will smith the whole thing and franklin's going to be the hero who figures out how to take down the shadows and sheridan will step up and say but as the day when the world declared in one voice we will not go quietly into the night okay you know my favorite thing about that whole piece was they used an old it was a, i think it was a power street uh g3 uh, MacBook that they used for that scene where they uploaded. No, it wasn't a G3. It was well before. No, but it's well, it was a power Mac uh, laptop that they used to upload the virus. And back in the day, especially in the power Mac and the G3 G4 days, the whole thing was, well, Macs never get viruses, but they uploaded a virus to the aliens and it killed them. And so it's like, yeah, they never do. But when they do get a virus, man, they will mess you up. <laughs> uh, Oh, Delenn cussing. Glenn, Dylan trying to cuss. That was, that was fun. fun. That was that fun. Was good. Again, I go back to what I said last week. John and Dylan are so cute together. They're just cute. Let's talk a little bit about the war itself and the reasoning. Rifa's reasoning for going to war and doing this thing, right? And calling the shadows in. Talking about we could continue fighting the way we are and we'll just continue to lose more and more Centauri lives. We're going to eventually going to win anyway. But this way, at least it's one swift stroke and cut the head off. We're good to go. I save a whole bunch of lives in the process. That sounds like a good idea, right? Sort of. And I'm realizing in the moment, isn't that the same reasoning that the United States used back in 1945 when they decided to drop the atomic bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima? Totally. Like that's like, cause we could either go Island by Island and eventually we would take it over or let's just go drop this and be done with it. And yeah, I, I always enjoy my opportunities to quote rush on this show or really just in life period it's one of my favorite things to do not Limbaugh. no 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 the, the real rush the good rush the one that's in a, in a in a hall of fame that matters into some people the one that's but, on a poster on your wall back there exactly yeah actually two there's, there's two of them right there and i have yeah. one over there also but um they have a song on their their power windows record it's not even the first time i've quoted one from power windows but the manhattan project and they have a line that says the pilot of an ola gay flying out of the shockwave on that august day and what that always meant to me was, yeah, that was that was a efficient way to end the war, right? It mm -hmm. Just boom, we're we're done. But that dude, that dude who flew the plane and opened the bay doors, had to live with that. Yeah, his whole life. I would be fascinated. I don't know if there's a movie or a book or something, but there's no way dude went home and just you know had a TV dinner with the family and was like, yeah, I won the war today. That guy was carrying some stuff in this version of that i think i think that's exactly what this was an analogy for but they took that piece out they took the pilot away and they made it the shadows and then 
kind of made Londo the pilot. He's the one who basically made the call for the shadows to do it, but he didn't have to fly over. Actually, I take that back. He did. He stood on the bridge of that ship and watched. Watched it happen. In what I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to plant a flag here in what was possibly one of the most powerful scenes and moments in television. I can, I can berate Londo all I want, but Peter Jurassic's acting against a, a window against his own reflection was phenomenal. He told a whole story with his face. You felt every bit of it. And it didn't matter in the end because the character still chose what he chose, but you could tell everything from his. So like, it was so good. Yeah. And he's going to hold on to that. And and I, I think I've used this analogy before, but I think this is it. This is Anakin walking in on the younglings and just being like, well, here we go. Yep. I'm going to this side now that this was Londo's. This is Londo's younglings moment. And there was a moment of redemption for Darth Vader. Dang it, Jeff. I don't want Londo to be redeemed right now. I'm still mad at him. Darth Vader had to die to get redeemed. Ooh, good point. But still. So there was another moment that actually very much reminded me of what we're seeing today. So Jeff, as this episode uh, comes out, as we're recording this episode, we have just passed like the one year anniversary of this whole, uh, ever since Russia first did stuff in Ukraine. And there's been a lot of really horrible stuff over the last year that has happened and come out war crimes, torture, targeting civilians. And yet the West and everyone else around the world protests, but we don't do anything about it really. Like, yeah, we send some, we send some stuff, we throw a bunch of supplies, whatever. But at what point are we stepping in, you know, yeah. until Russia brings us in <laughs> to yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Right. But like, that's what happened here is Londo shows up and he's like, this is all that happens. And, and they're like, the earth and Minbari governments have already filed a protest with the Centauri government over their treatment of whatever. Okay. But you didn't stop it. You didn't go do anything about it. Centauri didn't even acknowledge them. And, it, no. and they were, they were filing protests against their use of illegal outlawed weapons. Those right. mass drivers were illegal. But I think the key point in there that's even bigger that adds to your point is it wasn't just the earth and Minbari governments that filed protests, the Vorlon. Right. Filed I, was, protests. I was, I was trying to think if it was the Vorlon as well, but yeah. 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 And they, they, they could have just ended this whole thing. The Vorlon. Oh yeah. They could have stepped in and been like, okay, we got you <laughs> done done we're finished there we go now maybe maybe they're not doing that because they know the shadows are involved and them showing up to fight the shadows would immediately escalate things maybe but also you took the time to file a protest Ooh, that's what the first ones bring to the table i don't know if i'm so excited you're around anymore but again a part i mean a part of that whole first one you, you let don't don't let the little squabbles bother you let them let them fight it out and this would be one of those let them fight it out situations but they actually went to the process of filing a protest mm-hmm. through the ambassador uh deal i hope i hope that kosh felt like an idiot when he was doing you know what i mean it's like oh yeah i guess i guess i'm here, here you go <laughs> I, the thing. I, I i you almost want like sheridan and delin to like go to kosh and be like hey can you file this with us like prevent a present a united front and cautious kind of like okay fine <laughs> kind of on that though so that was one of the few times that we talked about earth government minbari government vorlon government we talked a lot about you know the centauri and and, and narn the kari government but 
everything that came out though with Sheridan and Delenn through this episode, aligning with Drawl, that wasn't an, an alliance with Earth Force or the Minbari. That was an alliance with Sheridan and Babylon Five. Right. At the very end of the episode, when it was here's the Rangers, they're not here to help Minbar or Earth. They're here to help Babylon Five. Like we're starting to really see Sheridan and Babylon Five carve out as this separate entity. And I think is that going to go the full way? I I I think it is. I think it has to. Like it's got to cut off Earth support uh, uh, and, and become its own entity, right? In Babylon Squared, when they had the flash forward scene where Garibaldi and Sinclair were fighting and going, my initial theory was that that was Earth Force attacking Babylon 5. What what we've seen progress through this season, I'm almost back to that, that they're going to end up in a firefight with Earth. What did you, what did you, did you find the naming scheme here as ridiculous as I did? The army of light against the army of darkness. Like, I get it. Like... I mean, talk about bonk, bonk over the head, <laughs> you know, like I had a, I had a problem with it cause I doubt they're bringing Bruce Campbell in for one, <laughs> but I also, I, I think I have a bigger problem with it though, fundamentally. And this might be my misunderstanding of, Bab- of Babylon five. So I'll own that as I say this, but my impression was that Babylon five was about, there is no clear good and clear evil. Everything is a shade of gray and nothing is what it appears to be but we're going to have a purely good light army and a purely well, but then as I say that right, darkness isn't all bad. You can sleep well in it and whatever light can't always be good. It starts fires and burns things. So maybe I'm reading too much into just the binary lightness and darkness thing, but it it does just seem very just like, Hey, so star Trek apparently ripped us off is the rumor. So we're just going to rip off star Wars because I mean, nobody's doing that yet. It is time to boil all of this down and see if this show has any of that star Trekky quality to it. Is there a deep moral message? Is it holding up a mirror to society? Is it giving us hope that things can and will be better in the future? So in order to do that, I am going to rate this episode on a scale of zero to five deltas as to how star Trek this episode is. And Jeff, you are going to rate this episode on a scale of zero to five star furies as to how Babylon five this episode is. I'll go first. There were two places specifically that I thought this really, it took its responsibility as sci-fi as television seriously and said, we're here to actually make a statement. It's not just entertainment, but we're here to make a statement right now. They couldn't have known this way back then. I mentioned earlier how a lot of what they're doing reflects what we have been seeing here over the last year in our own time. Mm -hmm. I loved the sort of speech that draw gave to Sheridan where they name checked the episode. He said the thing. He, he said, said the he thing. did it. There it is. You know, uh, it's that, that Leonardo DiCaprio treat like, got it. Uh, but he said in the long twilight struggle ahead, there is the possibility of hope, which is something we need right now, because in many ways it feels like right now to us in this day and age, it feels as if we are in the middle of stuff wars now whether it's on our own shores and our own borders or it's or it's away it feels like we're in the middle of it and it doesn't feel like there's an end in sight because you know what we also have coming up here in the next year in america your favorite time in mine a presidential election you know and it's like it, there's just so much it's so easy to get bogged down and get depressed over the state of the world of the country 
of everything going on. And it really is nice to hear that, hey, in the midst of all of that, there is hope on the other side. You know, like Mm -hmm. it was it was really great. Like, hey, we're bringing all of these people together because even though all of this stuff is happening and you're not going to be able to prevent it, there's hope. There's hope that we actually can overcome it. There's hope that we're going to get through it. There's hope that we're going to be better when we come out of it. I loved that particular line. But then how do you not look at the line from Sheridan at the very end? From this place, we will deliver a notice to the parliaments of conquerors that a line has been drawn here, here, and no further. And you can't buzz me because you already did once for that same reference. He says, against the darkness, and we will hold that line no matter the cost. I mean, that has to be a line that JMS has, like, he held on to, and he had it for a really long time and was just waiting to be able to throw it in, you know? But I mean, gosh, talk about hope of the future in a different way, I think, than what Star Trek would give us. But still putting that there, definitely, I think, a mirror uh, of society, of the way that things really are happening right now. Uh, So I'm going to give this one four deltas. And I think I'm just trying to not give it five. But I think I'm going to give this one four deltas. I can totally agree with that. I'm going to make a case for five. You don't have to take it. I think four is, is a great rating. But what you didn't bring up was Jakar's speech. Oh my gosh, how did I forget that? Yes. Right. And, and, and he, he, he talks quite a bit about there is no greater power in the universe than the need for freedom. Against that power, governments and tyrants and armies cannot stand. The Centauri learned this lesson once. We will teach it to them again. Though it take a thousand years, we will be free. Yeah. And then he walked off into the sunset. I mean, that is, that is, again, not how Star Trek would do it, but that's the message. And I think Jakar's speech and Sheridan's speech both really double down on our piece where we call this the Star Trek-y message. We rate it with deltas, but it's not about Star Trek. It's about the Absolutely. message. It's a, and that's these two speeches and, and draws as well. But to me, these two especially just really shine a light on that piece that we can come together yeah. and we can fight the tyranny of evil men. We can fight the parliament of conquerors. I mean, what, what a great line. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful language and, and such a great message as well. I, I'm going to leave it at four, but, and I can't believe I forgot to make Cause I have it. It's right here. It's right here in my notes. I just glossed over it. How about you, Jeff? What are, what are your star theories you got for us? Well, I'm going to go there. This is a five star theory episode. Yeah. I mean, it's literally what we've been talking about. This is what we've been waiting for. It's destruction. It's war. There are alliances. There's conspiracies. There's, the, the 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 destruction the uh demol- the decimation not just of races but of people mm. of jacar of londo i mean it's 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 horrible <laughs> and it's great it gives you the hope like you just talked about and they mentioned zathras <laughs> i mean that mention alone that buys two star theories just by mentioning <laughs> it right <laughs> that makes it way babylon 5 just mentioning zathras exactly no this was this was such a great episode of Babylon Five. Um, I I'm I'm excited to rank this episode. I'll I'll say that much. Like this was fantastic. Well, you're the one doing the ranking this week, not me. Although I know I certainly would put it in a particular spot. Let's see if you do that because Jeff, here in season two, we are ranking these episodes, and we are compiling the absolute 100% completely accurate definitive ranking of Babylon Five season two. Jeff, it's your week. I can't argue with you, but again, I know where I put it. Uh, where do you put the long twilight struggle? Our top five. Sorry, our oh, top yeah, five. Hit it. 
is the coming of shadows, a race through dark places in the shadow of Zaha doom alone in the night and divided loyalties all by the way, in a, in a roller coaster of a season, very strong episodes. We do have that space just above the long dark at the bottom of this. I'm going to punch you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think so. If we just think about what this episode did, right? It's this episode started really in earnest in the coming of shadows, which is our, our top episode right now. This closed that arc is kicking us off in a new direction. It took all the things we loved about the coming of shadows, ramped it up big time. Brent, this is, this is our number one. This is the top episode of season two. Absolutely agree. And I can't change it even if I didn't, but I absolutely agree. This, this was a fantastic not just a fantastic hour of television, Jeff, when, when the whole, uh, Narn thing and the shadows and the ships were just obliterating everybody. And I'm like, they're doing this two episodes before the season finale. Are you kidding me? Save your budget folks. But like, I'm also like, I, I had to look at the time. Like, it's only 25 minutes into the episode. Are you really like, it felt like we were close to the end of the episode at that point. They just packed so much in so much goodness all the way around. Absolutely. Number one, but we have reached a point of the episode, Brent, that I've often this season been glad we reached. I'm a little disappointed that we're here right now because that's it for the long twilight struggle. Next week, we're going to be watching comes the inquisitor for the first time. We don't watch ahead. We don't read ahead. We don't look ahead. We don't know anything. So based on the title alone, Brent, what do you think comes the inquisitor is going to be about? You know how we often like, want the episode to continue its story, but we know it doesn't and it goes off. Well, I'm going back to this episode's continuing the story. All right. And here's what we have. We now have Jakar living in exile in sanctuary on the station where Londo is. I think this is really where we see Jakar. I don't know if he's starting to mount a defense, but I think there's, there's, I feel like this inquisitor what it immediately calls to mind, and I, I'm sorry to continue to continually reference. Actually, no, I'm not sorry at all. I'm going to reference what I reference. It feels like Dolores Umbridge to me, where mm. she literally was con- called the High Inquisitor. But it feels like there's going to be somebody coming to the station, right? And they're going to be like dividing line. You're the almost maybe even trying to take over. And here's going to be Jakar, who is deposed, who's he's going to have to start making a few moves. Or maybe it's him trying to figure out what he's going to do. But I, I do think this, I think this Inquisitor is probably going to be Centauri. And they're coming in with this new power base. I mean, mm. think how much the Centauri regime, realm, empire has just grown by taking over Narn and all these little little things around it. They're continuing declaring part of the Protectorate as well. Like they, they've just picked up a huge swath that honestly focuses their power base a little bit more. So Maybe they try to seize control of Babylon five. What do you think, Jeff? This is going to be the penultimate episode of this season. Yes. Everything that happens in this one really is going to ramp us up for what's going to be the start of the great war, right? That's going to be the, that's going to be the season finale. Okay. I think, I think so. This has to put all the dominoes set up for, for that, that to move. I think this is about an inquisitor who's going to come and specifically going to come to Sheridan. I think this oh. inquisitor is going to be his wife Anna and it's what? going to it's going to be a modernized version of Anna what? who shows up to ask him what he wants. What? Yeah. 
Are you what? I am still convinced that she's not dead and that she has chosen the path of Morden and she's working for the shadows. Jeff, that is a reach. That is you trying to manifest some weird theory that you have, dude. She's gone. I planted this seed. I think it was in Revelations. You did. I remember. (laughs) I remember you talking about this, that you said she's not dead. And I was like, and let me repeat that now. Probably. Okay. (laughs) But you know what? If I'm right, like this is, this is. If if you're right, I'm calling shenanigans on you not watching ahead. 100%. Fair enough. I'm. (laughs) flexing my muscles as a as a sci-fi aficionado and understanding how this stuff goes you're trying you're trying to take my crown are you are you coming for my job there jeff i'll let you take it week to week i'm taking the big one i'm going i'm going for the big one all right well we'll find out right here next week thank you so much for joining us if you haven't already you need to get your review in for our giveaway that's going to happen here in just three weeks at our season two wrap-up episode. That's right, because we yep two more episodes and then the wrap-up, so three more weeks. So go to Apple Podcasts, go to Audible, go to Podchaser, go to Good Pods, go somewhere, leave us a review, screenshot that, email it to us at Babylon5first at gmail.com. It's the number five, the word first, or on Twitter at Babylon1st, and you'll be entered in the giveaway. If you've already left a review, you're awesome, and you're also in that drawing. So three weeks. Going to give away a mini, mini Babylon 5 and a little plastic John Sheridan. So, Brent, until next time. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, Brent. Are you sure this isn't the season finale? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. Are you sure? Like, how sure are you? I am so, so sure. Peace and long life, everybody. It's my first time. Has this ever happened to you while you were watching Star Trek? Aaron, honey, pause, pause, pause. Why did Nog just say their first set of ears? I mean, it's weird that he didn't call them lobes. Okay, but first set? Do Ferengi lobes fall off and they grow new ones? Or are they supposed to grow in layers? I don't know. I've never heard anything about it. Ha ha ha. Wait, why do you think their ears would fall off? Is there some kind of animal that really does that? Listen to me, biologist and frequent episode pauser, Kelly Voss. And me, lifelong Star Trek fan and engineer, Aaron Strom. As we share the conversations we were already having at our house anyway. The Spinal Frontier comes out on your favorite podcatcher every second and fourth Monday. You can follow us at Spinal Frontier on Twitter and Spinal Frontier Pod on Instagram for updates. Okay, honey, you can press play.